Welcome to Bite-Sized Battles. As Ottoman soldiers rushed through cannon-smashed holes in Constantinople's previously impregnable walls in 1453, it wasn't just the Byzantine Empire that fell. It was Christian Europe's bastion against the growing might of Islam. Ever since the 7th century, Islamic forces had been ranging far and wide across Arabia, Persia, North Africa and the Levant. The Spanish were still in the process of expelling the Moors from Iberia until 1492, but the disquiet of the medieval kingdoms of Europe was usually directed towards the Holy Land. They themselves weren't in much danger. After all, the mighty Byzantines stood guarding the main route to Europe. But the fall of Constantinople marked the final chapter in the long collapse of the Byzantine sentinel, and the road to Christian Europe now lay wide open. The Ottomans invaded Greece, the Balkans and Romania in short order. It seemed they were unstoppable. So inexorable were they that the Pope himself, Pius V, feared that soon even the Vatican City would be in the hands of Muslims, and St. Peter's Basilica would be converted to a mosque, just as the iconic Hagia Sophia had been. So, just 120 years after Constantinople's fall, the Pope called together a Holy League to throw back the Ottomans from Cyprus, where they were trying to oust the Venetians. Alongside Venice and the Papal States, sailed the Spanish Empire, including Sardinia, Sicily and Naples, the duchies of Genoa, Urbino and Tuscany, and the Knights of Malta and Knights Hospitaller. Together they amassed a great armada of 212 ships to take on 278 Ottoman vessels who knew they were coming. The scene was set for a clash of civilization, of religion, of culture. Some have likened it to a new Salamis, the battle which would decide whether Europe would be dominated by Western or Eastern ideals and values. A hundred thousand Christian and Muslim men were about to make that decision for millions living at the time, and many more millions afterwards. Welcome to the third episode of History's Greatest Naval Battles, the Battle of Lepanto. The two fleets approached each other on the 7th of October 1571, close to the end of the sailing season. The Holy League might have waited until the following year, but they had received news of the fall of Cyprus and the atrocities the Ottomans had committed there. The garrison had surrendered with promises of safe conduct back to Venice, but the Ottoman commander betrayed them. He had all 350 prisoners beheaded, and the garrison's commander, Marco Antonio Bragadin, tortured. They cut off his ears and nose, stripped him and made him walk to the harbour with sacks of earth strapped to his back. Here they bound him in ropes to a chair, 
hoisted him to the height of the highest mast in their fleet and dropped him freefall into the sea, where he half drowned. Bringing him back out alive, he was dragged to the town square of Famagusta and tied to a stone column which still stands there today. The final act of his torture was to be flayed. Bragadin mercifully died before they were finished. It was total, unabashed and needless cruelty. It may have been the fact that the Ottoman commander had humiliatingly lost 50,000 men in the siege which drove him to such treacherous madness. Whatever the case, I tell you this gruesome story to give you a sense of the outrage and revulsion the Christians felt, the vengeance they were determined to have. To them, Bragadin's fate was a personification of the brutal fate all of Europe would suffer if the Ottomans weren't checked. For the Ottomans, this was a chance to knock out most of the fleets of Christian Mediterranean and would give them free reign to strike anywhere at will. But it was also to them about defending their honour from the Christian infidels. An imperial decree said, all the Muslim community found it most proper and necessary to find and immediately attack the infidels' fleet in order to save the honour of our religion and state and to protect the land of the Caliphate. Lepanto was the last major naval battle in Western history in which all-powered warships were used. These were the galleys descended from ancient triremes, but while the Ottomans were still relying on the feared and famed composite bow as the main weapon of their embarked infantry, the Christians brought with them arquebuses and muskets. The Spanish Tercio infantry were particularly effective with them and were considered Europe's finest troops. Facing the elite Spanish were the Ottomans' own elite force, the Janissaries. Expert with all weapons, they were feared everywhere the Ottoman Empire went. Their clash would be worthy of a Hollywood blockbuster. In all, 60,000 Christians faced 84,000 Ottomans, and around noon, the battle began. 500 ships in two lines bore down on one another. A grim sense of destiny weighed on all. But from the start, Christian technology told. The Spanish had supplied most of the gold to pay for the fleet, and Venice was the shipbuilding and gunnery capital of the world at this time. Together, they brought with them six galleasses, small, early versions of galleons armed with cannon. While naval warfare at this time remained what it had always been, ships ramming and boarding each other. The galleasses were designed for the future. They were intended to fight at a distance as the first ships of the line, and as such bristled with cannon. In fact, the Christian fleet had brought more than 1,800 cannon to the battle, compared to the Ottomans' 750. The Ottoman commander Ali Pasha wondered at the six relatively flat vessels out in front of the main Christian line. But when they opened fire, his wonder turned to horror. 
one Ottoman ship after another was destroyed by cannon fire until they could get close enough to engage. When they did, whole clouds of arrows filled the sky as the Ottomans replied to the cannonade. The Venetian commander Barbarigo was shot in the eye, and at least one Christian ship was later found floating aimlessly, with every single man dead or wounded from multiple arrow strikes. Hundreds of Christians fell to Ottoman marksmanship as the fleets now literally crashed together. As the Ottomans launched volley after volley into the exposed Christian decks, the thousands of arquebusiers now took aim and returned fire, pouring point-blank lead into the unprotected flesh of archers. Infantry from both sides rushed each other in a huge and frenzied melee. The ships were so crammed together that all attempts at manoeuvre vanished and sailors joined soldiers in the bloody slaughter. It was as if the sea had become one massive fighting platform, three miles long. In the centre, the fight grew fiercest around the two fleet's flagships. Here, the two most elite infantry forces of the day fought out their epic duel. The Spanish Tercio and Ottoman Janissary struggled bitterly on the decks of the Christian flagship, the Real. On land, the Tercio would form tight squares of pikemen with arquebusiers and swordsmen in the centre, combining the defensive strength of a phalanx with the range and striking power of gunpowder. But the rolling decks and desperate madness of boarding actions made that impossible at Lepanto and the fight was one of hundreds of elite professional soldiers struggling wildly, grimacing as they grappled and stole each other's lives away with sword, axe and pike. The deck of the Royale was a furious mass of struggling bodies, of cloaks flapping, armour resounding, weapons swinging, men shrieking. The fight raged back and forth, but eventually the toll began to tell on the Tercio as the Janissaries began to gain the upper hand. But soon a second Christian ship drew alongside and struck a vicious counter-attack which drove the Ottomans back to their own flagship, the Sultana. Here they pushed the Janissaries to the poop deck, where they were finally slaughtered to a man, including the commander, Ali Pasha, whose head was now chopped off and held aloft to Christian delight and Ottoman dismay. To the left, the Venetians were venting their fury on the unfortunate Ottomans, sweeping their decks clean with cannon and musket fire, desperate to avenge the ugly death of Bragadin at Famagusta. As they did so, they freed Christian galley slaves who had been rowing for the Ottomans, and thousands now roared up to the decks to overwhelm their former masters. The Ottomans had no answer to their wrath and fell back in disarray. But even as they did so, the battle nearly turned in the Ottomans' favour, because the Christian right flank had drifted so dangerously out of position that a squadron of Ottoman ships was able to drive directly into the flank of the Christian centre. A frantic struggle ensued around the 15 galleys of the Knights of Malta, 
had the Ottomans broken through, it could have turned the tide of the battle. But just in the nick of time, a reserve squadron spotted the danger and forced the Ottomans to retreat. By now, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and the sea churned with the broken wreckage of doomed ships, with flags and banners of all kinds, with dead bodies and thick blood. The Ottomans had finally broken and fled. Dispirited by the death of their commander, shocked by Venetian fury, and awed by the devastating effects of massed cannon and gunfire. It's said that the Venetian bloodlust continued into the evening, as they used long pikes to kill Ottoman soldiers and sailors struggling in the sea. War makes monsters. 40,000 men had died, 30,000 of them Ottoman. It's been argued that early capitalism made the decisive difference at the battle, for it was this that spurred the competition between European nations and corporations to keep improving ships and guns, and it was the great commercial cities in particular which drove these technological advancements. Lepanto was a crushing defeat, a disaster for the Ottomans and a decisive boon for Europe. In some ways, though, the Ottomans seemed to brush off the loss. Two years later, the Ottoman Grand Vizier, essentially the head of government, said to a Venetian ambassador, Our courage has not faded away after the Battle of Lepanto. There is a discrepancy between your losses and ours. We took from you Cyprus and thus cut off one of your arms. You defeated our fleet, which meant nothing more than shaving our beard. A missing arm cannot be replaced, but a shaved beard grows thicker. Indeed, in the years following Lepanto, Venice did not regain Cyprus, instead formally ceding it to the Ottoman Empire. The Ottomans also retook Tunis from the Spanish in 1574, had rebuilt a huge fleet of 250 ships in just six months, and continued with their military encroachment of Europe in the Balkans for at least another hundred years. But the reality was that Lepanto was a dramatic turning point. It was the first time a major Ottoman fleet had been defeated, and it was psychologically devastating to their sense of invincibility. Even with their large rebuilt fleet, the Ottomans usually avoided major naval confrontations from then on. As such, it marked the point at which Western Mediterranean Europe was decidedly Christian, even while Greece and the Balkans remained occupied. A hundred years later, the Ottomans reached the high watermark of their territorial expansion when they were swept away from their siege of the Austrian capital of Vienna by the famous Polish winged hussars. Even so, the Ottoman Empire continued to flourish for hundreds of years until it finally collapsed following World War I. What Lepanto did was to preserve the religion, culture, commerce and values of Europe. It had massive ramifications for the spread of the printing press, the European colonies of the New World, 
the ideas of the scientific revolution and the enlightenment, and much more. It ensured, therefore, that the future of modern history would be dominated by the West as we know it today, along with its empire-building, libertarian ideologies and commercial instruments. In short, Lepanto changed the world. Join us next time for a naval leap into the future. What Lepanto nodded to in naval tactics and technology was realised in the awesome, powerful fullness of the ships of the line of the early 19th century. In 1805, the combined fleets of Napoleon's French and Spanish empires took on the might of Britain's Royal Navy. At stake was Napoleon's planned invasion of Britain, the perennial thorn in his side. The battle would go down in history as one of the most tactically innovative of all time, made the name of British Admiral Horatio Nelson, and was a critical key in the outcome of the Napoleonic Wars. I'm Andrew McKenzie. Thanks for listening. See you then.